Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. Thank you again for our time together. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you so much for allowing me to sit down in your home with you every morning and just read the Bible together and spend some time in worship and prayer together. Thank you for that privilege of opening your life. Paul said, open your hearts wide to me as I've opened my heart wide to you. No ministry can take place with closed hearts. Sometimes we always think about open minds, but we also have to think about open hearts. So thank you for opening your hearts and allowing Sister Bev and I to just sit down and spend time with you every day. All right, as we get started today, I want us to first go to our Psalms 91 recitation by one of our children. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I say of my Lord, He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you in His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will bear shield and rampart. He will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks by the darkness, nor the plague that distress at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most higher dwelling, even my Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample against the gate lion and the serpent. Because I, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him and protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I want to talk to the young people for just a moment today before we pray. Young people, you've been locked at home, and you don't understand something's been changing in you. Now, please forgive me, but I'm not much on Facebook. I've told you that all through the years. Sister Bev's the Facebook guru. But as I've looked around at Facebook lately, and I've looked up a lot of you young people that I know very well, you seem more interested in the latest Korean actor or actress than you are the Word of God. You, you seem to be getting very wise in the things of this world, and you're spending all of your time with telenovelas, and you're spending all of your time with the, the world and not with God. Now, young people, I don't want you to turn away from God. I don't want this COVID-19 to cause your love for God to grow cold. Now, I know it's very hard. You're at home all day. You're bored. You're looking for something to do. Now, we've got to find out some things to get your mind focused on God. But young people, there's nothing that we can do if you don't want to join with us. So, Young people, I want you to listen to me. And parents, you need to be watching. I mean, you think the kids are happy because they're on their devices. You mean they're quiet because they're on their devices, okay? But is what they're looking at good for them? Now, young people, it's been almost five months now. And I know you can't come to church. And I know we've got morning devotions and evening services. But the rest of the day, you can't fill your heart with the things of this world. So, young people, I want to challenge you. Let me, let me sit down with some of the pastors, and we'll come up with some more things for you to be doing and studying, okay? Uh, but, young people, it's got to start with you. It's got to start with the desire within your heart that your walk with God means more to you than anything else. 
And you're not going to turn to the world and fill your heart with the world because you're bored. Please forgive me. You should never be doing something out of boredom. You should be doing things on purpose in your life. So young people, let me pray for you today. And I, please, I don't in any way criticize you or condemn you, young people. I, I know this has maybe been harder on you than even on the seniors because, you know, seniors don't have quite the energy that you have. And your energy has been, oh, you know, just you can't do anything. Please, I understand. But I'm not talking about anything except the focus of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift to you the young people today. Lord, never in our life, never in the history of the world have we ever heard of young people being locked in houses for all these months. And it's difficult for them, Lord. They miss their friends. They miss church. But, Father, your presence is there. Lord, I ask in your mercy right now, young people that have been looking at things that are very questionable, filling their hearts with the nonsense of this world. And Father, their love for you is starting to fade. Lord, we ask for mercy right now. We don't ask for what we deserve. We ask for mercy. Father, in Jesus' name, reach into the heart of every one of these young people and let there be a fire burn. Let there be a fire burn deep within them. Let the fire of the Holy Ghost just kind of set them aside and set them alight again. And Father, incline their heart to your word. Incline their heart. Stir up the spirit of supplication, the spirit of prayer within them. And Father, start doing a work within these young people's lives. This is the next generation, Lord. This is the future. These are the future pastors. These are the future leaders. These are the future, Lord. Don't let this thing set them on a wrong course. Don't let this thing change the direction of their life and change the focus of their life. Don't let this thing put the fire, the fire of God out in their souls. Don't let their love grow cold. In your mercy, reach down and touch the hearts of the young people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship now.
We're in the book of Romans now, not just in evening services where I'm just sitting down and patiently walking you through the book of Romans to reacquaint us with the foundations of our faith, to strengthen those foundations in this time. But even in our morning devotions now, we're going to do a brief read through the book of Romans. It, it'll take us probably a couple of weeks, but we'll be through the book of Romans. But it is a powerful book. It's not going to be like reading the history books. This is maybe Paul's strongest theological treatise. Now he begins in chapter 3. We're picking up with verse 5. And he's really challenging the doctrine of antinomianism. Now let me explain to you what that is so that you'll understand it as we go through. Anti means against nomianism, the law. So it's against the law. And there is a doctrine even today, antinomianism. It's, it's, not, it's not extreme grace because I don't like those words because grace is extreme. I mean, forgive me, every attribute of God is extreme. But there are people who use the wrong application. And you've often heard me say, the falsehood in doctrines is not in its teaching, it's in its application. So look at the application Paul brings out here. He said, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? He said, I, I speak in a human way. Now, now this is their human logic going. They say, okay, if my sin, okay, if my sin reveals the righteousness of God, then you know what? Logically speaking, God should not put wrath upon us because we've made him look good. Now, this is some of the things people were teaching in that day. So, you know, it doesn't matter how I live my life because my sinfulness just makes God look good. He said, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? He said, now listen, this is, this is a silly doctrine. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if, if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, then why am I still condemned to be a sinner? Again, okay? If my lying reveals God's truth, then you know what? I've made God look good. So why, why does God think bad about me? I'm making God look good. And why not do evil that good may come? Now, here's a key. As some people are slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, let's just break this down for a minute. You're going to see incredible teaching about salvation by faith, salvation by grace, all through the book of Romans. See, Paul writes this because people are saying, that he teaches that our sin reveals the glory of God, that our sin, our lies reveal the truth of God. And you know, every bit of evil that we do, God just brings good. God is good to the just and the unjust. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So the more evil we do, God sends his goodness to bring us to repentance. And you know, they totally misappropriated the truth. And he said, as some people slanderously, he said, he said, to lie about what I teach is slander. <laughs> he said, to lie about what I teach is slander. 
and we are charged. He said, you slander us and charge us. But he said, their condemnation is just. Now, you have to understand, there is a penalty for twisting the truth. Men slash women of God teach. Now, you've got to get a hold of this. It's like I can remember back in the early 80s, I was enamored with the Kenneth Hagin's teaching on faith word. And he just taught the scripture. And it was, it was just really, really beautiful. And he just line upon line. But then I watched other people take the truth that he said. And they had the right truth, but in their application, they twisted it. And they said, well, that's what Pop Hagen teaches. But it wasn't what Pop Hagen taught. I've watched the same thing with, with Brother John Avanzini. People say, this is what he says. No. You've been at COP for how many years? You know what Brother John really says. And you know how Brother John applies what he says. But they will take it and twist the application. Now, there is a penalty for twisting the truth that men and women of God teach. Now, Paul comes back to then again. Okay, what then? Are the Jews, are we Jews any better off? He identifies himself as a Jew. He's never ashamed of that. He said, no, not at all. He said, we're no better off than the Gentiles. Why? For we have already charged that, both, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. This is the concept of universal sin. All have sinned, okay? We are born in sin. Now, there are many people who don't like that truth. But you know what? That is what has happened. We are born into this sinful world, and Jesus died to save us from this. We're born into the kingdom of darkness. He said we are all under the power of sin. So he said whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek. So he said, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew. We're in the same spiritual condition. So same spiritual condition. We are all born in sin, and we are under the power of sin. Now he begins to quote from the Old Testament. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. He said, so don't tell me you understand. He said, you don't. The word says you don't. No one seeks God. And please, people come to me all the time and say, I'm a God seeker. I've been to the Himalayas. I've been to Nepal. And I'm seeking God. No, you're not. No one seeks God. No, not one. Jesus came to seek. And I would, you were here with me, I'd look up the verse and I'd, Jesus seeks and saves. We are saved because Jesus sought us. We are not saved because there's something in us drawing us to God. There's nothing in you drawing you to God. I mean, please forgive me. There is not, people have taught this false doctrine for years. There is nothing in you drawing you to God. It is God who seeks and saves the lost. It is Jesus who reaches out to us. See, this is, salvation is just the grace of God. So there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even once. He said, so don't tell me that you do good things, because no. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive, all right? So their words, their words are death, and their words are deception. The venom of ass are under their lips, okay, so more death and deception. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I mean, you know, when you hear a person who doesn't know Jesus talk, very quickly you discover this person doesn't know Jesus because their words are full of curses. Their words are full of bitterness. You know, I, I sat down with a man one day who claimed to be a Christian. And after a little while, you know, he started saying GD this and GD that and, and you know, all kinds of bad things. And a little while later, he was talking the bitterness of his heart about this one and the bitterness. And I looked at the guy and I said, you know, you may have a lot of people fooled, but you know you're not saved, don't you? He said, how can you say that? I said, listen to your words. Your mouth is full of curses. You're, al- you're always cursing. Your, your, your mouth is full of bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. So their actions destroy Their paths are ruin and misery. This is their future. So you can look at their actions. Their actions are always destructive. You look at their future, it's ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. They have no idea how to have peace. Peace is elusive. They have not known. They they have no idea how to have peace in their families. They have no idea how to have peace in their life. Now, you say, well, pastor, I knew this unsaved person. Excuse me, let God be true and every man a liar. This is what God says is the condition of an unsaved person. This is why we need to go lead them to Christ. There is no fear of God before their eyes, so there's no respect. They have no respect for God. No respect. But you, I can remember as an unsaved young man, I used to tell people that I respected God. I didn't believe in him, but I respected him because I wouldn't speak bad things about him. And I wouldn't, you know, like my grandfather one time came to pray for me and I took his hand off my head because I was very sick. I'd collapsed at work. Grandpa came to pray for me, small town. And I said, Grandpa, don't pray for me. I don't pray when things are going good. I'm not going to pray when things are going bad. I have more respect for God than that. So I thought I respected God. But you know what? I was always going around using the name of God in vain. Jesus does this and Jesus Christ that. No respect. See, we we can fool ourselves into thinking these things are true. But you know what? We need to understand this is what God says. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. He said, all right. You know, here is a purpose of what we call the Old Testament. So that, number one, every mouth may be stopped, and number two, the whole world may be held accountable. God said, I've given you all of the Scripture. Okay? I've given you all of the Scripture so that no one can say a word. Your mouth is silenced. And I have the right to hold the whole world accountable because I have given out my word. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the purpose of the Old Testament is, one, every mouth silenced. Number two, held accountable. Number three, 
reveal the knowledge of sin. So no human being, by the works of the law, just by obeying, obeying the Old Testament, you can't be justified. See, you have to understand, just keeping a series of rules and regulations doesn't make you right with God. We are justified by faith. And this is what Paul is going to take us into in chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. We are justified by faith. We're not justified because by our strength of will we obey the following commandments. No, we are, are justified by faith. There's always been one plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Testament passage today picks up in Second Chronicles chapter 29. Now we begin to deal with King Hezekiah. Now, this is one of the jokes people have been playing ever since I was a baby Christian. 18 years old, we'd be sitting around doing what we called sword drills. And somebody would call out a verse and we would see who could look up that verse the fastest. It meant it was teaching you how to know your Bible. And I can remember falling for it, baby Christian, Hezekiah chapter 3, verse 7. And I'm just digging. There was no book of Hezekiah. Okay, it's one of the oldest jokes played on Christians by other Christians. So now we're going to really study about King Hezekiah. Because he is a very well-known king. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So we have a long term. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Now we see why he had a long term. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, now notice, sometimes it said according to what his father had done, and other times it takes you back to David. So we see degrees of, degrees of determination to seek God. And this is something we, we don't like to deal with in Christianity today. But one of the things you'll notice then as we go through the Old Testament is there are people who obeyed God, but not in everything. They obeyed God, but they still did this. They obeyed God, but they, you know, there's things that they hung on to or there's things that they left around in their lives. When you go all the way back to David, you're talking to a man that really wanted to seek God. Now, I also want you to notice one of these phrases, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Lord. That's a very common phrase. Not in the eyes of people. You're, you're never going to be able to do what's right in the eyes of people. I mean, you, you do your very best and somebody's going to complain, okay? But he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. So it goes back many generations and shows, you know, he's, he's different than Isa. He's different than the others. He goes back to David. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, if you're just reading this today, you've got to have, have a big question mark. But we don't have a big question mark because we recognize that in chapter 28, let me get the reference for you very quickly. In chapter 28, because I can't go back and forth with this one. In chapter 28, 
verse 24, we see that King Ahaz closes. He closed the temple. He shut down the house of God. <laughs> no, nobody's going to worship God anymore. He closed the house of God. Now, Hezekiah comes along and he says, I'm going to open God's house. So he opened the doors of the house of God and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites. Now, these, the, the priests are part of the Levites, but the priests are descendants of Aaron. And the Levites, that is the tribe. Okay, so this is the family of the ruling priests and the Levites. And assembled them in the square on the east. So on the east side of the temple. All right. So this is temple. Temple Mount, temple. North, east. On the east side of the temple. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now he could say that to all of them because the priests were also Levites. Now hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. Now that should scare you. The filth from the holy place. Now that's a very, very strong word. That is not just clutter and dung and disrepair. Someone had put filth, and we're talking human excrement, etc., in there, into the holy place. Now again, somebody really wants to disrespect God. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They have forsaken him, and they've turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So, all right, they were unfaithful. What did they do? They forsook God, and they forsook God's house. They also shut the doors of the vessel, put out the lamps, have not burned the incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. So there was no worship, no offerings in God's house. Therefore, and you need to get a hold of the word therefore, therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. He said, listen, look around. Man, we, we've been destroyed. We have been destroyed because God's house was closed. The holy place was filled with filth. There's no worship and there's no offering in the house of God. He said, look, look around at this. He said, we've been made an object of horror because of this. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, so our fathers, and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Notice the word for this. What is for this? The closing of God's house. Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. All right, so God was angry. My sons, do not be negligent. 
For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be ministers and to make offerings to him. All right, so this is for ministers. This would be for the ministers. They are chosen to what? Number one, stand in his presence. Number two, minister to God. Number three, minister to people. Number four, bring the offerings. He said, this is your purpose. He said, so don't now be negligent. Now, now, now please, if you're listening to me and you're a pastor, forgive me, don't be negligent. This is our job. We have been chosen. The call of God is on our lives. We've been chosen to, number one, stand in his presence every day. You've been chosen to be with him. Jesus called those he wanted to be with him. That's part of the calling there in Matthew 10, to stand in his presence, to minister to God. If, if, you're, if you're called to the ministry, you're called to be in his presence, and you're called to minister to him. You're called to worship him. You're called to pray to him. You're called to just bring worship to him. This is part of the calling upon our lives. It's not, you know, we always think our call is to stand in front of the masses and preach the gospel. You know, you'll never do that until you first minister to him. So he said, you've been chosen to stand in his presence, to minister to him. I could preach on this for five hours. To be his ministers and to make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasiah, and Jaol, the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Marai, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalel, and the, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elisban, Shimri, and Jeul, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mathaniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jeul, and Shemai, and of the sons of Jehuthan, Shemaiah, and Uzel. They gathered their brothers. All right, they went out and said, hey guys, it's time for us to do our jobs again. We've been out taking care of sheep. We've been out doing our secular jobs. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We weren't chosen to be farmers and businessmen and sellers in the markets. So they, they gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves. They set themselves apart. That, that literally means they set apart. They set themselves apart from their agricultural businesses and from their marketing businesses. And they went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. The place was a pigsty. They didn't call janitors. They didn't hire a crew to come and clean it. There was more than just sweeping that needed to be done. Abominations had been done in there. One of the things you always learn is that Satan hates the church. And he hates altars of God. Now the church, we're the people. But the altars of God, every local church that you have built is an altar of God. And Satan hates altars of God. And he, when, when he gets a chance, he defiles them as much as he can. The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kidron. Now notice the priests, they went into the holy of holies and into the 
holy place. This would be, if this is temple court and this is the temple, the altar would be here, the, the brass sea would be here, and you came through. Even the holy place and the holy of holies. But now, the Levites weren't allowed in there. They took care of all this out here. Only the priests could go into this place. And they had to go in and clean the filth out of it. And then they brought it outside and put it in the courtyards. And then the Levites took it down to the Kidron Valley and, and dumped it. They began, to concentrate. they began to consecrate on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days, they consecrated the house of God. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. All right, so they set apart the house of God. Now, one of the things you have to study, and we'd have to go back and spend a lot of time with other scriptures with this, is idols had been brought in there. Demon worship was being done in there. I mean, it, Satan always loves to defile. But they went through and they cleansed it. They cleaned all the, the graffiti, so to speak, and all the carvings of demon idols off the rocks on the walls. They, all the de- names of demon gods would have been taken off of the walls and new finishes put on the walls. They, they, they really worked hard at this. Then they went to Hezekiah the king. We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils, the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless. Now again, they, they, all the things necessary for the table of showbread, making the sacrifices on the altar, King Ahaz threw them away. We have, made cons- we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah rose early and gathered the officials of the city, and they went up to the house of the Lord. I love that. They went up to the house of the Lord. Remember, it's at the highest point in Jerusalem. You always have to remember, when you get to Temple Mount, you are at the highest point in Jerusalem. They went up to the house of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, and seven lambs. The number of God. God's number is seven. God's number is seven. Man's number is six, okay? Seven is the number of perfection, completeness, maturity. Seven bulls, seven rams, seven rams, seven male goats for sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. So notice, they're making an offering for the kingdom of of Judah, for the sanctuary, and for the people. And he commanded the priests and the sons of Aaron to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Now, I put a question mark there. Why throw it against the altar? I don't see that passage used. I don't see that phrase used in other, pla- in other passages. So, but here it's thrown against the altar. So again, that's one of those question marks in my Bible. One day I'll understand it. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king in the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. Now again, you have to understand, this is the scapegoat. The scapegoat. The theology of that is you lay your hands on that goat and confess your sins over it, and as that goat is sacrificed, it takes away your sins. Now, Jesus is the scapegoat. Everything in the Old Testament typology points you to Jesus. 
And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin, sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of God with cymbals, harps, lyres, according to the commandment of David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for the commandment was from the Lord through these prophets. So Davidic worship, Davidic worship came from God. Now, the reason I say that is some people come along and they say, you know, well, why do we, why do we dance before the Lord? And why do we have cymbals and drums and harps and guitars and things in church? Well, this commandment came from the Lord through his prophets. David was a prophet, Gad was a prophet, and Nathan was a prophet. This whole beautiful worship came from God. Now, you've got to get a hold of that truth. The Levites stood with the instruments of David. Somehow those instruments had been preserved. And the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord all began also. And the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. Now notice, the song to the Lord. They didn't come in there and sing Lady Gaga. They didn't come in there and sing secular music. In God's house, you sing to the Lord. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and they worshiped. Davidic worship is being restored to God's house. Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. Now notice, now it's the people's turn. It was their turn to offer their worship. The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, all of these for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, and they could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. So we have a temporary problem. The Levites were not supposed to do the offerings, the burnt offerings. Only the priests were supposed to do that. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Now we see a temporary problem and the cause. The reason there wasn't enough priests to do this is the Levites were more upright in heart in consecrating themselves. The priests did not take this seriously. They had a calling for the priesthood on their life, but they didn't take this seriously. And then when they saw it, well, they caught up later, but they were the followers. So the priests were followers, not leaders. into God's, into God's new move. 
they weren't sold on this thing. They, so they didn't, they didn't get themselves ready. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there was the drink offerings and the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had prepared for the people, for the thing had come about suddenly. All right, so now you understand why didn't the priests do this? Because it had come about suddenly. They weren't sold on it yet. But God had prepared things for them. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.